Hello, hello, and a happy Sunday to you. Welcome back to the next installment of my Peace of Mind podcast with your host, Daniel Smith. Today, I'm going to be discussing a recent global event involving Russia-China relations and how that impacts the United States. And it's not going to be something very technical or political because I am by no means an expert. However, it's going to be kind of my discussion of some thoughts I have as an ordinary citizen of the world and of the United States. And just kind of talking about how these events and these alliances and, and different parts moving on the global stage could possibly affect myself and yourself down the line and maybe what you could do to change it or, or what you could do to form an, a, an opinion or a stance against or for something. So I hope it's interesting. But before we get into that, I would like to share with you a very fun fact, and it is quite related to today's topic, and that would be about the great nation of Switzerland. So, as we all know, Switzerland is notorious for staying out of it, which, huge respect to them, because they're literally, like, if you look at a map, Switzerland is almost smack dab in the middle of Europe, which was the battlegrounds of two great, great massive wars. And so I always wondered, like, how the hell do you just say, all right, we're neutral, we don't we don't care and like actually maintain that because I'm, I'm pretty sure, cer- certain, certain that there have been a number of countries who maybe preferred to stay out of it, but got sucked in anyways. So I was kind of wondered, how does Switzerland actually stay so neutral? And there's actually quite a, a meaningful explanation. So a big part of it is due to its geography. And Switzerland is a very mountainous country, a lot of valleys, a lot of steep ravines and and hills and, and obstacles that no army could easily overcome apart from flying over, which is not as easy to do as one might think. So because of its geography, Switzerland has a lot of different tunnels and road routes going into the mountains, you know, whether navigating through a mountain or around one or through a valley, all these very dangerous terrains for uh, an army, especially in the wintertime, you know, crossing these things is hard enough, add weather and, and all these other factors to it, it's nearly impossible. So what they did, which was actually like ingenious, is they lined all of these passages in and out of their country with explosives, which are still there to this day. And they made this known. So if Hitler were to ever send his troops and try to try to enter Switzerland and and conquer it, if they even tried to start getting in, they would have their path completely cut off, which would also trap Switzerland inside. But, you know, they didn't care. A lot of the things they have are pretty at that time, at least they could self-sustain, but they did this genius thing of saying, look, if you try to come in, we're going to trap all of us in here and you're not going to be able to get out or in. So don't even try. And that is, it's, it's crazy to me because it's almost like so simple, right? Just, oh yeah, well, you want to come through our tunnels? You know, just blow them up. No big deal. Stay out of our country, which pretty badass. And it, it's also very lucky that they have that mentality coupled with that land area, right? Because if, you know, you wanted to be really neutral, but you're out in the plains and you have nothing to defend you geographically, then you're kind of, you know, sitting ducks. But they did this genius thing of saying, you know, try to come in, we'll we'll block all exits in and out, right? So they also have an account for aerial invasion. 
and there's actually nobody knows the exact amount or locations but there are whispers of like underground not underground but like dug into the mountain airfields with the capability of of launching planes in the mountains like normally when you see an airport it's like on the coast or in the middle of a big open field but what they've done what they've done excuse me is dig into the mountainside and create these secret hidden airports that even planes flying over wouldn't be able to see let alone any scouts or recon or anything excuse me so switzerland is like locked up tight airfields to launch at a moment's notice from unknown locations usually in in battle you're able to scout and see all right the enemy airfield is here let's steer clear but when you have no idea to go in would be crazy because you never know where you could get attacked from so they cut off the entrances they have secret airfields and on top of that the uh soldiers of the swiss military you know the famous swiss army knife and you know there's the expression no this person's a swiss army knife the swiss are very capable and you hear something i think i heard when i was younger all the swiss have weapons and while that may not be specifically true what is true is that anyone who is in or a part of the swiss military they have their gear assigned to them as any soldier would but the difference is is they keep all of their rifles equipment gear after leaving the military so not only do you have to deal with active military members but every former military member is fully equipped to engage in full battle like at any time like they could just have full combat gear and weaponry and ammo in their house if anyone were to ever invade so through a combination of geography secret airfields and citizen battle readiness switzerland has created itself to be a very impregnable and very neutral country out of sheer kind of intimidation and mystery and and willingness to go to any lengths to defend themselves which i think is super super cool and with that i will segue into today's topic covering international relations and the potentiality to maybe overcome switzerland's long-standing neutrality but probably not but anyways i hope you enjoy please if you feel the desire leave a rating leave a comment reach out feedback is greatly appreciated and enjoy the discussion february 2022 winter olympics beijing exciting times lots going on covid still happening um you know life is still slowly trudging forward we got big world events colliding with you know drawn out pandemic related events and biden's the president and what does that even mean lots of stuff going on but today i want to talk a little bit about my thoughts on a recent event of the past week so we all know the olympics have just begun in beijing which by the way is a whole ordeal like i don't know how i don't know if you understand how insane it is that countries can just like set up for the olympics there's so many people that get displaced and and animals are killed and all these things like clearing ground for this huge event that's supposed to be so spectacular and and wonderful and it, it nowadays it's kind of drowned out not only by the pandemic and the fact that there aren't any like live spectators but that people kind of get screwed over in order for a country to host it but one specific event that i want to talk about happened at the olympic summit in beijing this past week and that involves russia and china the two the two big guys aside from from the US on the world stage at least nowadays they have always been not always they for the past decade or so they've been kind of 
mildly aligned and they say, hey, Russia, I see what you got going on or hey, China, I see what you got going on. Like, you know, we're both we're both authoritarian. We both really like having leaders that hold on to power and, and no democratic elections and free speech and all that stuff. So they they get along ideologically. But recently they have strengthened their partnership. And this is something very, very notable to me, just kind of from a stepped back perspective, I suppose. And I want to preface by saying I am by no means an expert on international relations, Russian or Chinese policies, American foreign policy, war, all that stuff that could be put on under the umbrella of this event and all the events leading up to and, and coming after it. But I still want to talk about it because it's really interesting and it's sort of scary, but also sort of, it's mostly interesting to me right now in the current state of things. But anyways, Xi Jinping and Putin met publicly and, and publicly kind of sanctioned, not sanctioned, put a stamp on their alliance as being, quote, no limits partnership. And they are planning on backing one another over the Ukraine and Taiwan standoffs, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in this episode. But also they say that their relationship is superior to any Cold War era alliance. Cold War happened in the 80s, and that was, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis. We have these two superpowers, the U.S. and Russia, with nukes and the, the mutually assured destruction, all that high school history stuff that we learned, you know. But they say that their their alliance now is, is greater than anything in that time, which in that time a lot of things were focused on space races, right? It might have been a little bit earlier, but space was kind of a big idea then. We had um, Star Wars, like the, the space laser missile defense system that was kind of a fantasy at the time, but is now seeming a bit more real. So China and Russia want to talk, or not, yeah, work together on space-related efforts, climate change efforts, artificial intelligence, and control of the internet. And that's according to this, this article about the meeting that they had. And all those things are very prevalent in the world right now. Those are kind of like <laughs> the biggest issues. You know, you hear endless things about climate and artificial intelligence is probably going to make more waves in the next few years. And then control of the internet we already have TikTok going. TikTok is a Chinese-based company, and I'm 90% certain that most people are like mind-controlled by that now, including myself. So this is a very, very significant development. And it's something I think that is worth talking about kind of from an individual citizen's perspective. And that's kind of how I want to approach it. I don't want to approach it critically as some what's the word I'm looking for? Diplomatic expert. I don't want to approach it as some diplomatic expert or anyone with anything notable to say. Again, I'm not an expert on anything. However, from the chair I'm sitting in to the article I'm reading about the, the, the people that lead these nations, these nations capable of literally destroying the planet. Keep that in mind. Ourselves, Russia, China, we all have enough nukes to destroy the earth thrice times, like just ridiculous amount of firepower. And we're all like kind of, you know, hey, we all know that we got what we got. Let's not let's not pull the big guns out. Let's keep the mouths moving and the hands at our sides, right? But it's really interesting to me how much say a very small group of people, because that's ultimately that's what it is, in my view at least, a very small group of people kind of determines the direction that the world moves. And that's not only in the West, but in, but in these Eastern countries as well, in these Indo-Pacific countries. There's a lot of people with a lot of different interests. And a lot of that is based on geography, which I think kind of isn't really talked about enough. Like the, the, the amount of things in our life that we have and don't have, so much of that could be chalked up to geography. Like 
when people get old in America, they move to Florida because it's warm and they don't have to worry about the winter. Like weather, geography, resources, all these things. It's so, so prevalent in our world and it, it's kind of treated not as much nowadays because of international trade and, and the capability of one country to have imports and exports to all continents of the world, which is crazy. It's absolutely astounding that we can just exist in one very small portion of the earth and then reap the benefits that all different parts have to offer. So naturally, this creates a lot of conflicts of interest. One thing currently that is, is going to be more prevalent in the coming years as well is the Arctic, which we all know to be slowly but surely melting climate change. And with that comes more accessibility for trade routes, ships, and ultimately resources, oil, different things like that. And it's it's something I feel like I personally don't think about that much because it's stupid. But when you look at maps, generally they're laid out flat. So I don't really um, conceptualize the proximity of like northern Canada to northern Russia because they're actually just kind of meeting at the top. So we're way closer to these things than we think. We're not we're not separated by oceans to the right or left. We're we're threat. I mean, it doesn't have to be a threat, but we're capable of accessing these things kind of top to bottom too. like Russia could come over the North Pole to America, Canada, whatever, and vice versa. So there's all these conflicts of interest in these areas that are becoming you have you have scarce resources and you have things that every country ultimately wants and due to different ideologies, they go about acquiring those things and sharing those things in very nuanced ways. So what does that mean for someone such as myself for the remainder of my life? Because hopefully, if I live a full and happy life, you know, I might see close to the end of this century. And there are lots of things that can happen in that amount of time, right? We, we've, I graduated high school in 2018. I got the whole world ahead of me. I'm like, wow, the, the, the opportunities are limitless. And then boom, global pandemic. Don't go outside. Don't look at anyone that you don't know. Don't speak to them. Like absolutely huge magnitude events can take place in the blink of an eye, seemingly. When you look back, like <laughs> the fact that we've been in this for two years, I can't even imagine it's 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 mind-boggling no words but anyways my point is i'm not trying to say that there's going to be some war or some huge conflict and we're all going to get sucked in but i want to i want to note that it's that it's possible and i want to talk about why i think it's possible well let me rephrase that i want to talk about why i think we shouldn't worry about it even though it's very possible. So let's go back a bit in case you know nothing about China, Russia, what they're what they're doing right now, some of the things that are pre- prevalent as far as global conflicts go. And again, I myself am no expert, but I've read at least three articles. Yeah, that's right, three articles. So basically... China and Russia are both in the midst of territorial predicaments, conflicts, arguments. The first one that kind of became notable in the in the news cycles, at least, was the Taiwan. Now, John Cena had to publicly apologize to China in Mandarin for mistakenly referring to Taiwan as a country. And that was really interesting, and it sparked some outrage here in the West and and a lot of people were kind of confused by it, conf- including myself. And it, it's really interesting because technically, if you ask someone in Taiwan if they are a free and independent country, they won't necessarily tell you that they are. If you ask someone in China, they'll say no. If you ask someone in the West, they'll say no, they're not part of China, they're a free and independent country. But we're very removed from it. You know, it doesn't really... They're, they're our ally. You know, Taiwan is very close to Australia, relatively. 
who is our ally and, and all these different democracies kind of have this ultimate goal of defending other democracies, right? Oh, free, independent, free election. We like that. These guys are the homies. Anyone who, who, who tries to stop that is ultimately kind of an enemy or, or someone to be pushed back against. But there is actually no legal, I think, again, not an expert, but I'm pretty sure there isn't official licensing of Taiwan as its own independent nation. And it's so, it's such a, a nuanced and, and sticky situation that they themselves are not willing to admit it. The, the active leader of Taiwan is not willing to openly say we are not part of China because that could, could set off this chain of events that's extremely consequential both for, for Taiwan and for its allies who may get roped into some conflict that nobody really wants to, to even start with in the beginning. So what does that mean for us? So we're the, uh, a Western superpower, democracy, we love democracy, and this country supposed country of Taiwan is being threatened by China, who is not our enemy, but is certainly someone, some some entity that we are very cautious of, aware of, you know, will trade and they're powerful and we can affect one another very greatly. But we want to keep them at an arm's length as far as like a personal, emotional friendship, you know, like, we got the UK, we're like, oh, UK, Boris, you know, we're homies, we're both kind of technically from the same land. Let's be friends. We're allies with them. It's not the same relationship with China. We have we have um, economical bindings and things like that, but we wouldn't, you know, defend their moral stance on on things. So, it creates an issue where Taiwan is independent currently. That's the status quo, and if that's challenged by military force, the rest of the world has to choose whether or not they're going to come to their aid. If they come to their aid they're challenging a major world superpower with a military nuclear arsenal and economic ties to rival that of the United States, which sounds like the worst case scenario. So I think at this point, everyone's kind of trying to avoid that. However, there's still this vigilance. Australia has had many different, I I saw a 60 minutes episode from Australia and they were talking with with, um, a Chinese ambassador or maybe he wasn't an ambassador, but it was like a Chinese relations expert. And then like a retired Australian military general. And basically they concluded that, you know, even if, if, if China sends planes and starts, you know, attacking and, and forcing Taiwan into submission, even though it seems like, oh yeah, let's go in and help them. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very tricky situation because... China has the capability of striking back in a lot of places and, and, and nobody really wants that. So that's China, Taiwan, very, very on the surface. Something similar now, which you've probably seen, is going on with Russia and Ukraine, where Russia, like China, has shown military force. It has laid out troops. It's performed um, military uh, strategic practices, like kind of a, a dress rehearsal, if you would. And this is putting a lot of people on their, putting them on their guard and saying, you know, what's, what's going to happen here? Ukraine has been amassing troops and, and preparing for fighting. And Russia has been saying, you know, we're not going to fight. And then Russia and China have these demands about NATO, which is a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. But ultimately, the picture is this. We have the United States and the West, democratic freedom, free speech, all that good stuff. And then we have two powers, Russia and China, who have leaders who are very authoritarian. They, especially in China, have been have been reducing rights of the individual. And this is something that goes fundamentally against the ideologies we have in the West. And both of these countries are having very sensitive territorial exchanges with neighboring countries, territories that they claim to have ownership to of which the latter claims, no, you don't, leave us alone. And it's very, very touchy because everyone is very powerful and everyone has the capability to strike where it hurts, but nobody really wants to. And I think that's an important point I want to make. Nobody nobody wants a, a global conflict. Everybody just wants their interests met and, and advanced, and they want the 
interests of the opposition to be suppressed, pushed back. Everyone wants to be in the power seat, right? And that's what's kind of screwed up about all of it, because who's winning in that situation? Like, I, I imagine being a Chinese citizen or Russian citizen. You know, I don't even know how to begin to imagine that, and I will live my entire life without ever knowing what that's like. However, I would guess that, like me, the average person doesn't want their country to go to war with something or, or, or another country that's so capable of, of destruction. We've been lucky in the United States where we've never had warfare on our home turf. You know, we've been attacked, certainly, but we've never had troops deployed from neighboring countries on our on our turf, at least in, in contemporary United States, you know, aside from the French Indian War, Revolutionary War, all those things. As America stands now, we are not accustomed to being attacked. So it's very interesting to think about that happening and, and potentially happening and, and potentially happening in a very dramatic way if it does you know it's not going to be some simple oh they deployed troops you know it's going to be planes nukes bombs or or more likely actually would be cyber attacks electrical attacks we've seen the the oil pipeline was hacked by a domestic group of hackers or maybe they weren't domestic but they don't even have to be i mean russia has safe haven for a lot of hackers so there's there's so many things that can happen nowadays destructively against infrastructure that are so dramatic and so powerful that everyone really wants to avoid that happening. But it's still very interesting to me that it's so possible, maybe not possible, but so easy to imagine as, as taking place in the world now, you know, everyone was kind of shocked by the pandemic and now it's become like, oh, what's next, right? So we're in a very sensitive time. And I guess you could say that about almost any time. But that's, that's how it goes, I guess. Every, every time is sensitive. There's always some big thing going on. You know, 50 years ago was the space race. We had fight for civil rights in America. We had all these different things going on and everyone could have said, oh, this is a very sensitive time. You never know what's going to happen. So my guess is that'll be relevant every year from here on out. But anyways, I want to kind of paint a picture of, or at least paint a picture of my thoughts on just this dynamic of, of, three superpowers in the world and and i want to think about what that looks like i mean there's so many things that can affect the decisions that a leader makes and something that can especially affect that is having like a large cabinet that also has an influence and checking powers and, and balance of powers and things like that but not everyone has that so in the U.S., we have a pretty good balance of power system. You know, there's always situations where someone could be abusing power, whether it's executive orders and things like that. It happens. But all we can't expect everyone else to follow suit. So we, we have this situation where people could have the same economic, military, and, and diplomatic capabilities as us, but they exercise their power in a very different way, which is very, very interesting, dangerous, um, something to learn from but it's amazing to me that that international power is such a priority right i guess that's kind of what i wanted to talk about when i when i chose to discuss this event the fact that as human beings we've we've developed so much we've literally reached the stars and we've explored so much of our planet we've we've cure diseases, built architectural wonders, created this habitat for ourselves that's so good at keeping us alive and so good at allowing us to worry about things other than survival. And that could all be for naught if we allow this greed for power and, and control 
and pushing interest on others to get in the way. It's just, it, it's crazy to me that someone like Xi Jinping or Putin could be at the helm of maybe some of the most powerful countries the world has ever seen. I mean, compared to past empires, every one of these parties has more destructive financial and, and political power than any other empire before them. But there's just a lot, there's a lot more in the mix now. There's a lot more people. There's a lot more infrastructure. There's a lot more land. There's a lot more, well, there's the same amount of land, but it's just used in different ways. There's just a lot on the table. And the fact that people can keep themselves in office legally and just to push their own agenda like the fact that like i'm pretty sure putin will be officially president until like 2030 something now and i just wonder about the the mindset of someone like that like all right here i am at the helm of one of the world's most successful and, and prolific countries i mean i honestly couldn't pretend to know anything about you know, Russia currently, what it's like to live in Russia. Maybe they're happy. Maybe they, maybe the people there have better lives than us. I don't know. But being in control of so many people and having the ability to either enhance or destroy the lives of others, you choose, I mean, you have the biggest landmass of any country in the world. I'm pretty sure that's a fact. It's not a fun fact. It's not the fun fact, but I'm pretty sure Russia is, is bigger land-wise than any other country. So why do you need to exert militaristic pressure on the Ukraine, which has, for as long as I can remember, been its own independent country, and seemingly everything's been okay since then. So it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the benefit of, and when I say benefit, I mean like, like intrinsic benefit aside from just having more land because I guess oh you'll have more land you'll have more maybe economic success or whatever nobody cares about that I mean you could keep acquiring that until you die and you'll never be fulfilled because it's not something that can be satiated so where's the intrinsic benefit in in flexing your manhood so hard that you need to be one of the most powerful countries in the world and still take over other countries who are obviously helpless and then create this conflict and, and rigidity in everyone intention in the world, like, oh my God, like what's Putin gonna do? What's Xi Jinping gonna do? Oh, now they're now they're working together. What what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Like you're creating all of these tensions and like what's it for? And a big thing that I wanna note is that they made a point to say that they're like allied against the West. So as someone who was born and raised in America. I can't really remove myself from the bias of that kind of idea. But I'm not going to be one to defend our honor, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's bad, but I'm not a nationalist. I wouldn't consider myself a patriot. And I don't think that's bad to say, but I think it is is dictated as being bad to say by the society we live in, right? Like, why should I um, love the country that I was born in just because I was born in it? I, I mean, I didn't even ask to be born in this world. I didn't ask for any of it. So you're telling me, hey, your your family emigrated here from Europe and they decided to have you on these lands. So now you're going to love not only the land, not only your community, not only your town, not only your family, but the, the entire country that you live in one that was established by pushing out the previous inhabitants and and expanding imperialistically throughout northern canada and the in the pacific you know love that country because we're good and noble and, and better than everyone else in the world absolutely not bro like i have plenty of of things to say about my country and that's not to say I'm not appreciative of the things it's given me and the benefits it's given me. But again, this idea of loving your country, I've, I've loved a lot of different things. Love my family. I've loved my friends. I've loved people. I've just, 
I don't associate love with something that can be given to some state, some arbitrary group of people that I'll never ever meet, never know the actual goodness of. Why would I love them? Why would I love? I mean, they just they make changes in my life. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that, and I'm interested in affecting it. But I, I by no means would say that I love my country, which is something that I would have been hesitant to even think to myself before. But now it's like, I mean, who cares? I live. I'm not gonna destroy my country or, or threaten it or, or speak hatred towards it. But by no means am I going to see another country who clearly has distaste for my own and be like, you guys are idiots. My country's the best. You're you're totally off, off base here. Why would you ever want to destroy the West? We're better than you. How the hell should I know? Maybe they're better than us. Maybe we're the bad guys. From their perspective, that's reality, seemingly. So there's this issue here where it's like, okay, I'm an American. This person's a Russian. This person's Chinese. This person's Taiwanese. This person's Ukrainian. What does that mean? Does that just automatically pit us against each other? Or is there some way we can be like, all right, look, you know, we're all pretty big. There's not enough room for all of us to be pushing each other around on this raft. If we don't figure out a way to sit down, divide our rations, and and be peaceful about it, we're all going to sink and drown in the ocean. That's the ideal. Having people understand that we're all just people, right? We're not we're not citizens of countries first. That's stupid. I, I hate that idea. I've come to despise the idea of being a citizen before a person. Because the person came before the citizen. The person came before the country. The person existed before everything else. Government, the state, democracy, all of this was made possible because of people. So if you're going to fight for just your, your country and your establishment blindly without first considering people you're fundamentally never going to reach the best outcome. And when I say best outcome, again, I mean intrinsically the best outcome. And I, I, I don't really have a way to articulate it other than that, but the best outcome is not one where you have the strongest military or you have the biggest bank vault or you have the most political influence. Those things don't mean anything because all you're doing is being put in a situation where now someone else could take it from you and you're going to be on the defensive and you're going to be so it's it's just this endless struggle and my hope for the world and I don't think I'll see it before I die but my hope is that these these very nationalist thinkers will kind of fade out into nothingness that's not saying they should die, but just eventually generations, I hope, overcome this idea of nationalism and just blindly being there for your country. And and I don't want to have that be misconstrued as, you know, I'm like anti-patriotism. Like I have so much respect for people who fight for their country and do all these things, but it's like that fight is a kind of a physical one and you can do that without being married to an ideology, I think. So there's just so much that we have to figure out as a society globally. And this event is kind of scary because it seems to me like it's the beginning of a kind of a snowball rolling downhill that could either end in very positive change or something so dramatic and, and terrifying that kind of forces us into that by recovery rather than prevention. So again, by no means am I an expert on anything. But like I said, I'm speaking as an individual in one of the countries involved in a very real and very unperceivable global conflict. It, it's something that I can never fully grasp. I could read every expert's article and I could watch every interview and hear every speech, but you can't get inside the mindsets of these men and women who lead countries and understand why they do what they do. Because, I mean, they have these 10-year plans and 20-year plans and all this, but, you know, it's it's just amazing that 
their interests are so prioritized over just the success of the whole. And it's easy to do that, I think, when, you're, when your time is limited, right? I mean, hey, I'm, I'm an old man. I, I got this presidency that, that I can just ha- kind of hang on to until I die. Might as well do that and might as well stamp my footprint so damn hard that it'll take years for them to erase it. And you could do that in a good way or a bad way. But ultimately, it's still a very real desire that people have. And I'm, I'm sure people in such power positions really get pulled by that urge. And it's, it's scary because you never know what they're going to do in those situations. We have Australia, the United Kingdom, and America. And I think, no, France, I think, wasn't it. There's something called the, yeah, the AUKUS Alliance, AU. UK, US, Australia, United Kingdom, United States. And they made some deal to kind of exchange like nuclear submarines and, and develop these weapons, which China and Russia were not happy about. And they kind of are openly against the AUKUS alliance. And the AUKUS alliance pits kind of Australia, UK, and the US against Russia and China. Not directly on the battlefield but just ideologically these parties are kind of pitted against each other and it's interesting because those are three major english-speaking countries democratic countries who are like yep let's get these guys keep them keep them at bay and it's it's easy to forget that there are billions of other people in the world who are kind of just swept under the rug as subsidiaries of these superpowers and while they while that may be economically and militaristically true those people still have a say and they really should have a say so it's scary to me that i'm a part of one of the countries that could utterly destroy the world if events turned out that way and and all the other countries wouldn't really have a say in it i mean when you have russia and china combined if they put both of their military forces out on the f- nobody's nobody's beating them nobody is beating them and and you know uk america australia also very powerful technologically whether it's technology or, or population all of these nations kind of have it you know china's got excuse me <clears throat> china's got a billion people and a huge landmass and all these things so it's there's just so much on the table so i'll say it again like and it's hard to see through to the to what's real and like okay sure all these countries have interests and they want to affect climate change and stuff but are you going to do it in a way that promotes the human condition or are you going to do it in a way that finitely improves the condition of your country which has no guarantee of persisting in the next hundred years a lot can happen in a hundred years most empires don't last that long you know, Rome was seemingly unconquerable, and ultimately Rome itself was Rome's downfall. And it's not like history ever repeats itself or anything. That would be absolutely crazy. We always see what happens in the past, and we make sure to correct it in the present and in the future. So not at all am I worried about, you know, America's political instability and and social activity and and frustration i have no worries of that contributing to the downfall of the american empire i am very grateful that i live in the country that i do it's given me very very magnificent individual freedom i can think the way i want i can do what i want i can go where i want and i can say what i want to say about the things i want to say i'm about And that is a truly amazing ability. It's one that is so second nature. You know, you think, oh, of course, right? Why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't that be the best thing ever? But when you compare it, there are people, many, many, many people who don't have those things. And the fact that I have the liberty to record my thoughts and my criticisms of these countries is is very attributable to the people who fought and died for the freedoms that I have, and I will never lose respect for that. However, when you 
place nationalistic loyalty, loyalty to an ideal, and and all these other things above your loyalty to both yourself and your fellow humans, you're making a huge error that can't really lead to something that will be the best outcome for all the parties involved. I don't have any hatred or distaste towards Russia or China. And if I did, that would be stupid because I have never once had an interaction with the state, any people specifically, although I have met Russian and Chinese people, but to, they were just people. I wasn't, oh, the Russian guy's coming over here. He's an enemy of the states. No, why would I, that's stupid. And if you did, if you did that, you'd be a bad person. So the fact that our that the states are colliding does not mean that the individuals should show hatred. And and I'm not saying that that's the case necessarily, but I feel like it's a very possible subconscious idea that a lot of people might have. You know, especially if you've served in close proximity. Maybe you were a service member or or a member of politics and, and negotiation or diplomacy with these nations, then you can kind of have a say. But as someone like myself, who's never been positively or negative affected, negatively affected by these p- countries, it's like, why should I have any, why should I have any distaste towards it? Because my country doesn't like, who cares? Who cares? That's crazy. It is crazy to hold emotions and feelings towards something that didn't come from yourself because it's not real. Emotions themselves are hard enough to kind of sift through. So if you're taking ones in and internalizing them that weren't originated from your own experience and your own thoughts and your own mind and your own body, you're wasting your time. You're wasting valuable life, honestly. Like we will very possibly just live our entire lives without ever being affected by these conflicts directly but we are the first to be affected by the the symptoms of a conflict between states and the states themselves the people that make up those states are the first to be protected from it and that's kind of the problem that i have and i know that that's just kind of the way it is that's the way government is set up you know the president is capable of launching nukes and then he's capable of getting in the most secure safe bunker on the planet and then everyone else is at the is at the whims of whatever happens next. So my problem is is that lives are being put on the line and and lives are being used as resources and as kind of stakes in a conflict that to me ultimately serves no greater purpose. And I know that not everything has to serve a greater purpose, but when you have superpowers, things that the world has never really seen in the way and the the capacity that they're in now, the technological, social, environmental, militaristic power that we have as the United States, that Russia has, that China has, it is inconceivable. And if teeth are flared and if blows are exchanged, the ripple effects could be absolutely disastrous. They could shake the foundation of the world we live in and really just gain nothing and and lose everything. So before I repeat myself too much, as is the way it goes, I want to just say that while I don't think that there's going to be some massive conflict and war in the way that, you know, maybe World War II or World War I was fought, I don't think that's going to happen at all. However, there's certainly the beginnings of some sort of stage being set with the actors on one side and the and the antagonists and the protagonists and whoever you whichever category you fall under is kind of determined by the country you were born in and that's difficult to deal with from a moral perspective you know who is in the right and as someone who lives in America I can say by truly through just bias I'm like okay I'm biased so there's no way that I can be a hundred percent in the right and then I could apply the same logic 
to these other countries. All right, well, they were born and there's no way that they could be in the 100% right. So my conclusion is nobody is right. Everybody is wrong, in which case we should figure something else out to do. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Couldn't even begin to tell you what that could be. All I know is I don't want the future of my life to be ruined or dramatically impacted by insecure men who really aren't happy with what they have and need a little bit more. Like, dude, get over yourself. Enjoy the things you have. Enjoy the time you have. Because we never know what's going to happen. We really never know what's going to happen. And that's how I'll leave it. I don't want to be a doomsayer. Wasn't my intention, but it's it's important to think about. Because, you know, as citizens, we, we have roles to play and we have things to say and we have minds to be spoken. And we do have the power to affect the decisions our country makes. And that's the beauty of democracy. We can voice our opinions to our to our benefactors and they can advocate for us in government at the highest seat of of western government and that's really profound and i think that's something that you know we should take advantage of and because it's it's what we have you know you can only do the most with the things that you have so in order to avoid conflict and global war and catastrophe speak your mind think about things critically Look at it from every angle and voice your opinion. Because that's all we got, right? To you who are listening, thank you so very much for tuning in. It means the world to me to have people that you know want to engage with the ideas that i have and kind of just engage in this discussion and and be a sounding board for for my thoughts it's really really cool and i hope you enjoy special thank you to ayush trabra once again for providing the music i want to give credit where it's due and i I think it's really cool that he was able to do that for me it adds another dimension to to the listener experience and Thanks for staying patient with me. I've been a bit distracted the past couple weeks. It's been two weeks since I uploaded, and I want to be better about it, but I I have realized that I'm bad at holding myself to specific dates. So episodes will be coming every week. Hopefully, if not every two weeks at the most, but I'm going to try to be better about it from here on out. And with that, I leave it. Thank you again. The sky right now is a a beautiful pink and blue gradient as the sun sets this Sunday evening. I hope you had a great weekend and have a wonderful, truly delightful week. Thank you.